Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Welcome to the Proclaim podcast. My name is Eric Chow. I'm the director for Proclaim, and I'm looking forward to our conversation here. If you are new to this podcast, I just want to share that Proclaim is a, is a movement of the Archdiocese of Vancouver awakening disciples to proclaim Jesus. And so we take the opportunity to have conversations with missionary disciples that could be inspirational and inviting for us in our mission to proclaim Jesus in our homes and in our communities. So I'm here with a special guest, Jake Kim. Jake is a co-founder with his wife, Heather, uh, co-founder of Life Restoration. And if you're in the Archdiocese and have been blessed, many of you, our listeners, have been blessed by their men's retreats, women's retreats, and various other uh, ministry initiatives, uh, you know that you're in for a treat. And uh, I'm so blessed and excited to have this conversation with Jake Kim. So, Jake, thank you for joining us today. Eric, thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Again, doing something cool. Thanks. I'm going to take just a quick moment. We didn't, I didn't tell you this in the show notes, but I just want to take a quick moment to affirm you and thank you for your ministry, uh, not only f- for me to observe it and to be a co-laborer in ministry, but to also have been blessed by your mentorship and your friendship over the years. And to our Proclaim listeners, just a quick fact, it just came to me this morning that uh, Jake and Heather and Vanessa, my wife Vanessa and I, share a wedding anniversary date, July 1st. Uh, nice. We're a few years apart. I think you're you're 2000, I'm, I'm, I'm 2006. Does that sound about right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, what I love about our anniversary is that we get fireworks every single year. So Yeah, we do. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> there you go. So we're here to discuss and, and spend some time to talk about uh, identity. That's kind of the, the general topic. And so I'm going to throw it to you, Jake, just to, to open us up and to share with us some of your thoughts on identity. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I mean, there's so many areas we could start with and the... It's something that I think we need to be talking about because it's uh, extremely important initially. And I think it's also something that has a lot of confusion around it right now, like these days. So something that I'm really wanting and hoping to do is that I'm hoping that people can really come to understand and appreciate God's role in identity and how real identity, the identity that we're all longing for and looking for actually comes through and from him. And that's like, we say this, you know, if you've been around in the church world, you hear this thing like, oh my God given identity and things like that. But with most things of the kingdom, the idea is brilliant. It's amazing. And you can sit there and just relish in the idea But the real good stuff comes when the idea or the truth becomes real in your life and in your heart and when it leads to like practical, real transformation and change. And so that's what I'm most passionate about is not just kind of continuing to turn over this great idea, but to have this truth become something that, oh, my gosh, I'm different now because I have greater understanding of my God given identity, but I'm also living in it. And, I've, and I know a path to it, and I see what's come against it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Identity could be one of those buzzwords that get used a lot in ministry. And uh, and 
What are some of the misunderstandings then or misuses of that word uh, identity when you hear it and you kind of get a sense that it's it's being used a bit more of a, a, as a buzzword rather than a, a deeper understanding of what, what it truly is? Yeah, I, th- I think, th- I mean, one of the biggest ones would be the culture. So if yep. you just look at the culture, that's there's there's a lot going on around the word and even the use of the word I identify. And so I think one thing we have to look at right away that, that causes me caution or pause is when identity starts to get separated from what is objectively true. And so when identity is off on this, on its own island, and it's whatever I think or whatever I want, and it's not something to be realized and discovered, it's, it's the flavor of the day. Yeah, I have a lot of concern there because just on a if you understand the concept of identity, it's extremely deep in the human person, right? I mean, we're talking about the very essence of someone, to use a fancier word, it's an ontological reality. And ontological means being, like the deepest stuff of you. That's what we're talking about. And so if we mess around with it as if it's flippant, we should expect people to get rattled and distressed and bothered and in addition, if we don't know what our identity is, you will you can anticipate people being like uncertain, unstable, uh, graspy, insecure, things like that. Because the settledness, I think that every human being longs for. And you know, with a little bit of reflection, I think we could all go, Man, that is something I want. I wish I would just be at peace and within myself more often than not, no matter what's in front of me. Um, I know when I look at Jesus, that's one of the most admirable realities of him. I watch him and I imagine him interacting with the Pharisees and I just go, I would not be like that. I'd be freaking out. I'd be nervous. I'd be fumbling over my words or I'd be really angry and overcompensating. And he's this deeply integrated man who is loving in the face of adversity. Mm -hmm. So some of those like cues I think everybody longs for and those, the, the longing to be settled, to be secure, to know who I am, no matter what situation or setting I'm in. And the beautiful part is that that's what God wants too. like that. That's his desire. We're actually bumping into his longing for us and with us. And so whenever I see it like divert away from God, then I start to have concern because it's not concern like you're not doing it God's way and God's going to be mad at you. It's more concern for the person because what is at stake is, is big. It's gigantic. It's deep. And so I have concern for the individual because I want them to thrive. Um, yeah. Okay. So in a secular sense, you're seeing, um, and you're seeing in other people a deep desire to want to know who they are to yeah. understand their identity, but finding it in all the wrong places. And, yep. and that's where the disordered uh, seeking comes in. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Here, here's a here's a way I start with the concept that I think could be helpful for people, because it is kind of this, well, what is it? You yeah. know, and, and, and so I, the simplest way that I've learned to this point to be able to talk about it is it's the answer to two very simple but extremely important questions the first one is what am i and the second one is who am i okay and if you put those two together and you have a real and accurate and deep and substantive answer to both of those 
you're in the realm of identity. You've just answered the question of identity, but it starts with a what am I? And the what am I is, is an important one because we hop over it. And this is where the culture is a lot right now, is trying to answer the question of what am I? And in doing that, they're then feeding into the next question, who am I? Hmm. Which makes sense. It's very normal to do that. So there's nothing wrong with asking the two questions. The dilemma is when we start to take the answer outside of the realm of what is true, then we're on unstable ground. And I mean, just, just watch, just look. And it's not a condemnation. It's not a judgment. It's just an observation. When, when we start to remove the, the true essence of things or what I call nature, that's what, like, what is the nature of something? So that's the answer to the question, what am I? So if, if you look at me, you would look at me and say, you know, what am I? You would, you know, I, I ask this question to people and it's funny because some people have interesting answers, but just it it's begins to help them see how they answer this identity question. For example, my mom, you know, you play these games with your parents. So I asked my mom and my dad and I said, what are you? And my mom sat there and paused and she said, well, I was a teacher, which she was, and I'm a mom and I'm, and she was answering it. And I said, no, more, just more basic, more basic. What are you? And she couldn't like answer it. And the funny thing was at the time, my kids were younger and I asked one of them and we were all around a table and I asked my youngest Eva and I said, Eva, what are you? And she said, I'm a girl. And I said, exactly. And so if we make it a little bit more scientific-y, you're a young female human. That's, that's what you are. And it's not hard to do, right? When you're driving down the road in this object that has four wheels, you look at it and go, oh, I am in a car. What is this? A car. And oh, there's one with two wheels. That's called a motorcycle or a bicycle. What am I or the what question is intended to be pretty basic. But if you get it wrong, the whole rest of the thing goes sideways. Right. And so this the the dialogue that's going on right now with a lot of people is is a is a struggle to answer the question, what am I? And if we press deeper, I just want to affirm the desire hmm. that people have. There's a ton of conversation around the condemnation of the ridiculous answers that people can come up with. And I, I see that to a point that okay, it can get ridiculous, but if we press deep enough and, and someone uh, is, they're asking the question, what am I? And if they come up with something that maybe the bulk of the rest of society would go, that's ridiculous. Like shaming that person isn't going to get you very far. It's just adding to the very problem that they're experiencing to begin with is confusion and a desire to settle their interiority into some sense of security about what they are. The, the dilemma is if you make stuff up about what you are, the security doesn't come. They hope for it, and then you just go give it a little time, and it's unfortunate. And then their, their insecurity, their unsettledness remains, and you can see the perpetual grasping after the reaffirmation of their answer. Like, I, I don't go around um, saying to people, like, am I a grown adult male? Am I, is that okay? And I don't say that to like put other people down who struggle with that. I say that I have, I've, I'm a little further along on the continuum of security. And if someone doesn't know that, man, they need compassion. There's a lot going on in that person. 
But if you don't get what am I right, it is very hard to begin then to answer the question, who am I? Because you need a basis to stand on. The who am I is the stuff that I think a lot more people think of when they think of identity. Like, who am I? I'm Jake. And that means things that are different than Eric. Mm-hmm. And so we, we are both adult males. We both are husbands. We both are fathers, but we're not the same. And so how is your identity different than mine? That's where you get into the question of who am I? And here's the cool part in this one, and maybe disruptive for people. I would argue there's even in this question objective realities here. In other words, we I think we feel this thing of eventually I'm going to get to run off on my own and answer my own question about who I am because if I'm honest, I'm nervous about what other people would tell me, and I don't want to take their crap on to me. And so this weird dynamic goes on where we like push people away in hopes to go find myself over here because of a lack of trust and a lack of belief that you will love me into myself. And so the dilemma there is that we start to push people away and and yet... That's the very thing that is needed to discover who you are, is love. Hmm. You are loved into yourself. And so if you don't trust love and you push it away, you're going to continue to struggle in that identity question of who am I? So if, if we believe that God is real and that he is good, and that's probably maybe the, the tougher of the two for people, if God is real and he is good, And then thirdly, he created me intentionally. In other words, he had a good idea in mind when he created me. So part of my journey and task in life is to discover who I am. And in doing that, I have to have it accurate on the nature sense. I'm a man. uh, I'm uh, an adult. I'm not a kid. I'm not a baby. You know, those kind of have to get that right first. And then I have to be in relationship with love. And that and, and part of that would be God. That's kind of a primary. But it could also be with like deep friendships like you with my spouse. But if we go back in our history, our parents are a very big part of loving us into ourselves. And you and I know this experience where you have all your kids kind of imaginarily sitting on a couch and you go, man, you have the same genes from, you know, you and Vanessa, that's the same genes, but you are so different. And maybe there's some similarities, but ultimately you go, it's so clear you are unique. And the, a parent's job is to hold the kid within what they are and who they are. And at the same time, allow God and love to grow them into themselves and not what you think they should be. That's hard to do because we've got all our own junk and issues and problems as parents. But when that goes right, it is really a beautiful thing because someone is loved into themselves. And what you see is a settled individual, is an individual who's free to love then in return because they're not anxious. Like they don't have uh, what some psychologists call this existential angst. Mm these big questions and big realities of like, gosh, I don't know in my bones that I'm okay. And that 
I know who I am and I'm deeply settled in that. And we long for that stuff. So, all right, I'll pause there. <laughs> that was a lot. Sorry. Yeah, I, no, I know. I like the topic. <laughs> no, I think that's great. So my, my question here would be like, how aware would you say is the everyday individual of this questioning and seeking that's occurring in their life? How aware of it are they? I mean, you've you've given some some deep thought to it and have articulated it in quite a, um, and I mean, in as much as we can in, in a few minutes, but it seems as though it's not as much on the mind of an individual as it might be as you've, as you've explained it. Here, I, I think here's the interesting part. The, the reality of identity is on their mind and heart a lot. But I, my, my hunch and observation is that people aren't aware that that's what's on their mind and heart. The, the, the stuff that people struggle with, you could argue at some point connects back to identity dynamics and problems. So consciously, uh, probably not a lot of people, but experientially, I would say a lot. Yeah. A lot of people experience an identity struggle, but they don't know that that's what it is. Okay. So an individual might be experiencing some of that nervousness that you talked about with regards to moving towards love, but at the same time, not feeling sure about what they want to move towards, because it feels like if I move in that direction, I could get hurt. Something could, could, uh, really, um, mess me up or if you will, uh, But at the same time, there's some sort of magnetism that they don't really know how to explain that they want it, but they don't want it at all at the same time. Yeah. Thank so God. where does that come from? It's, uh, again, the, the answer to that question, I think, is where the philosophers love to play. And that's okay. where the cigars and whiskey come out. And people <laughs> like try to debate all this stuff and talk forever and write really complicated books and, and whatnot. And I would argue that the, the answer to that question has been done better than any other uh, worldview or ideology in Christianity. Yeah. And I would even take it a step further and say Catholicism. And uh, I'm, I'm uh, proudly Catholic. And so I'm arguing that point because I think one of the strengths of our history in the Catholic church is we think very deeply about things and try to articulate them very robustly and, you know, to, uh, most of the time that's awesome and it helps us understand what's what and who's who, you know, but, um, that can be burdensome to the average person like you and me going, I don't, I didn't, I've never read Aquinas's Summa, like, holy moly, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I would argue that Christianity has the best answer to that question. Um, and What's also interesting is that I think Christianity in love, even though it's not always perceived as love, points that out over and over and over. And there's a quote from Fides et Ratio, which is a document that John Paul II wrote about called Faith and Reason. And just listen to his little sentence here that I think captures a bit of what we're talking about. He says, with a false modesty pretty interesting qualifier. With a false modesty, people rest content with partial and provisional truths, no longer seeking to ask radical questions about the meaning and ultimate foundation of human personal and social existence. So what I think what he's saying is it's this big thing 
and people get overwhelmed by how big it is and they don't know where to turn. So they just rest with partial or that's a good enough idea because of the nervousness to press down and, and to ask deep and scary questions. And so this is where mother church comes in and says, Oh, children, come, 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 come. I want to, I want to show you who you are. Um, the, the answers are plentiful. There are tons of answers out there, but in my experience, uh, in my own life and in other people's, Christianity is the best answer I know. Yeah. Okay, so for our Proclaim listeners, um, practically speaking, what, what would that look like in the context of their, rela- their everyday relationships and uh, even in their ministries? Is it something like hearing from someone say, uh, you know, I don't need any more formation or I'm not like I'm not willing to or interested in growing in, in my faith or, or seeking and, and demonstrating a, a posture of learning. Like, are those the ways in which they would they might be able to start seeing some of that dynamic that you're talking about? Like there is there is a clear sense in an individual that there there is always opportunities for growth. And uh, true, a true Christian would also say that it's an ongoing, lifelong process of discipleship and growth. And at yep. the same time, with their mouths, they're saying things like, no, I'm good. Uh, yes, yeah. totally. The, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, I uh, uh, do jujitsu. Yep. And what, other than the sport, uh, what I love about it is the randomness of the groups of people that come together. And so at jujitsu, there are people from all walks of life, various uh, employment, you know, they with all kinds of different jobs and very different worldviews. And so slowly over time, it's kind of gotten out what I do and who I am. And so in their minds, the, the best bucket they have for me is that I'm a pastor. So in their heads, they go, oh, he's the pastor guy. And they're very kind. And, and very meaning, uh, you know, like there's no disrespect at all. Uh, um, maybe there's a bit when they roll with me and try to like hurt me. Uh, yeah. Sure. Anyway, so may, maybe that's where it comes out. I don't notice. But anyway, I'll just highlight one guy in particular. And uh, he heard that I have podcasts and he said, um, oh, cool. What are they about? And I said, you know, I come, one of them is kind of about psychology and healing and stuff. Another one's just about men and the the life and realities of the masculine heart and so he left i was like oh neat and he comes back and he listened to one of the episodes on way of the heart um and i said to him tell me about it what did you what did you like about it and what what struck you what didn't you like about it he goes oh you know it was very clear that you were a christian it was very clear that that i saw that i learned that quickly oh you're coming from a christian worldview and i said oh okay he said, yeah, I, I don't really believe in God. And I was like, oh, okay. How, what's that like for your life that you don't believe in God? And he goes, uh, I don't know. I just, I just think he's not real. And, it, and he stopped. And I thought that is an excellent example of a partial or provisional truth. Yeah. He was hanging on this concept, and it, it, it wasn't the place or the time that I have in mind to invite him to coffee and because I see him regularly. And part of what I'm just trying to do is let him know I care about you. You're not an outcome to me. You're a person to me. And so I'm going to love you and be, and because I do, I do love you. I, I actually am really fond of the guy Yep. Um, and I want his good. And so what's interesting is I don't think he's actually thought about it very much. He has a kid 
And in and, and another conversation, he said to me, yeah, there was one time I was looking for a counselor because I was having a lot of marriage problems and we're having a lot of parenting issues and I didn't know where to go. And I said to him, well, next time you know where to go, I'd be happy to talk to you if that would be helpful. And what was interesting is what you're seeing in his life dilemma is I need answers to problems, right? I have struggles and difficulties and pain. How do you get relationships to work? Why am I anxious at times? Why does my wife not like me at times? You know, all, all these and his answers are partial or provisional because diving deeper will cause him to ask things like, what is truth? Is there a God? Do my decisions actually have consequences in a moral realm? Does love change things, you know? And you can just hear it in his, um, yeah, I'm, I'm atheist. Oh, what's that like? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just atheist. Right. And so you can, it hasn't gone a bit deeper. So I would say that's often where you notice it is when you press into things that in philosophy sometimes are called the universals, like love or meaning or relationship. And then people press in and you start to see them or experience them get a little disoriented. Yep. It's like, I, I, I don't know. I've just come up with my simple provisional truth. To me, there's the area to step a bit further into okay. and not to shame them or go, I've got the answer. Cause that's a guaranteed way to cause them to re retreat. Yeah. Okay. But just to explore with them. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna throw a thought to you and you, you, I think you kind of uh, answered it, but, but I'm going to say it anyway. And let's, let's see if, if I, if I understand what you're saying, because uh, in the context of evangelization and what we're aiming to accomplish with the Proclaim movement, certainly we yeah. want people to proclaim Jesus in their homes and in their communities. Um, what, you're, uh, what you have explained, at least from what I understand it to be, is that we have a tremendous opportunity not to try to answer the questions and the problems that people have, but to provide the opportunity for someone to begin to articulate something that is going on in their minds, in their hearts, in their lives. And because in their everyday life, they don't have too many places to go, that alone already be begins to build a basis of trust. And through that conversation and through your willingness to sit in the muck and the challenge that they're facing, uh, it demonstrates to them that uh, and perhaps even uh, speaks, I guess, into that search for for their identity. It, it gives them a chance to say that uh, I'm experiencing love from this individual and it is not burning me in the way that I thought it might have because of the, the vulnerability of the types of questions that I'm asking. And the more that I, as me as a, as a friend, can sit with someone who is wrestling with that, the more they can begin to experience love in a, in a way that is authentic and life-giving and, uh, and, and, it's, and it's positive in their experience to the point where, and this is where I say the proclaim part comes in, to the point where a question might start to arise and to, to say, I'm now actually kind of interested in why you believe in God because somehow I'm sitting with you and I'm experiencing something that I haven't experienced before, which is authentic friendship, uh, a willingness for someone to listen to you. And now the tables have turned. I'm, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to start asking questions about what is it that's different about you? And that, that opens the door to say, well, let me tell you about the God that I believe in. 
and describe him and to share who Jesus is to me and describe his character and perhaps even dispel some of the misunderstandings of God and and Jesus as you might understand him. And that might, because you've spent the time to demonstrate the tension of you know, vulnerability and, and love and seeking and seeking those those questions without pushing answers into their into their lives, they're much more willing to at least explore the idea of Christianity. Well said. That's okay. that's exactly the point. The, the I think the best um, approach to evangelization and uh, the proclamation of the gospel is loving individuals. Yep. Love is very loud, especially now. So when, so when you look at it and you go, what's the better approach? If I had to pick one, telling someone about the love of Jesus Christ or loving them as Jesus Christ would? The latter to me is always more effective. The reason? Our hearts ache deeper for the experience of love than simply the acknowledgement of it. And so in that, when we embody Christ to someone, when we're ambassadors or saints or little Jesuses to other people, they respond. I mean, the, the, the modern example par excellence of this is uh, Mother St. Teresa of Calcutta. Like, it was extremely hard for people to dismiss her, no matter what their faith background, because it's so deep in us to honor love now, we can mangle up the word pretty good and call things love that aren't, but it's hard to look at Mother Teresa and go, what a ridiculous person. What a loser. What a selfish, awful individual. It's very hard to go there. Yep. At minimum, you have to just get rid of her because she causes people to go, I don't understand her, so I'm just not going to pay attention anymore. So if, if I embody a bit of Jesus and I'm just in their world, but I don't shame them or shove their face in it, then they're having to deal with stuff that maybe they've gotten used to avoiding and all of their algorithms and social media keep them in a lane and they don't ever question things. So one of the things that I love to do just, again, jujitsu is one of these places where I evangelize, is I am quick to affirm and I'm quick to be a student. So uh, with this guy, when he and I, it's called rolling, like when you're sparring, I'm quick to affirm him. And what I'm trying to show him is my identity doesn't rest in how good I do here. I care about you and I'm quick to go, man, you, that was awesome. You, what you just did. Can you show me how, what you did so that I can grow in this skill as well? In other words, I'm willing to honor your goodness. I'm willing to see what is good about you. And then there are some times where love presents itself. So for example, when you're doing something and maybe you catch somebody in a move and then they feel the, the, the pain of defeat. And I, you hear people say things like, man, I suck. I'm such a loser. I'm so bad. I'm a failure. And in those moments, it's such a beautiful, simple, quick opportunity to be able to go, you're not a failure. You're learning. And I'm right here with you. I'm learning with you. You're not a failure. And I've said that to various people and you watch them look and go, what just happened right there? Like, I like what he said, but, and, and I'm, what I'm trying to do is embody Jesus to them. 
Um, I think those go a long way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man, I have so many thoughts around around what you've just said, and, and I want to ask a bunch of questions, but um, maybe I'll, I'll bring it to this. Uh, when you're sharing about witnessing, uh, yeah. that witnessing becomes authentic when you personally do the work to discover your own identity, not um, to develop a set of skills that That's could help good. ask the right questions at the right time. Because even if you yeah. do get those skills, you'll probably come across as inauthentic yes. or you'll just miss the cues altogether. So That's well uh, so then you're... Uh, so then your your witness no longer becomes credible. So I hear a lot in in proclaim that and and just in ministry that um, you know proclamation is hard work, and so yep. being a yep. credible witness in their minds could be the easier work. But I, I think what you're also suggesting, and I would believe this, that being a credible witness is tremendously hard work. Like we we have to do our own work to discover and to really be settled and confident in our own identity in Christ. Yes. And that we can't just pick up a set of skills, uh, although it's helpful for us to take on the training of conversations and spiritual conversations and understanding proclamation and, and all that stuff, but it, it has no place or it really can't land well if our foundational work is not being done. I, I completely agree because okay. life will expose your weaknesses. Yeah. You, you can't get away from that evangelization not only exposes your weaknesses, it exposes your lack of faith. Yeah. It exposes your discomfort in your own um, experience of, of Christianity. And, and we think that we hide that stuff. Man, people are extremely perceptive. Yep. The, the, the BS meter for people is very high these days because of some of the stuff that social media does. We're used to looking at fake happiness all the time. Yeah. And so I think we've got a decent, a lot of people have a decent sense of going, I don't buy it. And they won't necessarily say that to you. They'll just go, clearly, you're treating me like a project. Mm -hmm. And the third sentence out of your mouth was, do you know the Catholic Church and how wonderful it is and that Jesus Christ founded it? Like, great truth, bad timing. Yep. And if the, if the person isn't open then my thought is those things can hit and maybe they'll bounce off, but maybe they'll cause a person to be a bit more closed. That's my approach. Now there's other times who, with, for that I found with people where they proclaim it and like fruit just happens. And I would say there's a particular charism yes. in those types of individuals. So I don't want to say across the board, never lead with Jesus loves you or whatever. That's that, I think there's a uniqueness there, but most people in my experience respond well to being loved. And I can share another story about my discomfort where I was exposed. So same situation, same, I'm at jujitsu again with another guy, same guy, they, I'm the pastor guy. And uh, this guy goes, uh, he goes, do you like Christian music? Out of the blue. And I'm like, well, what a weird question. I was like, yeah, I, I, I do like it. And he goes, oh, I listen to Praise 106.5. And he shares that. And then I said, Oh, awesome. Do you, do you believe in God? He said, no, not at all. I just think the songs are good. Hmm. I actually think God thinks kind of ridiculous. And I was like, oh, 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 okay. He said, do you think the God thing is ridiculous? And then I, I was, I was thrown by the, the uniqueness right. and barrage of questions. And I was like, oh, oh, oh okay. 
uh, do I know? I, well, I mean, you know, sometimes it's confusing and I, yeah, I kind of, and I fumbled and stumbled all over myself. Right. And, uh, there was another guy around who came up to me after and he was like, man, you did really good. I'm a believer, man. That went really well. And internally I went, I was insecure. I felt rattled. I, I didn't know what to say to him and that's okay. Uh, but what I've decided to do with that guy is I came back to him a little bit later, like two weeks or so after that. And he, I said, you know, your question actually really struck me. Yep. And I thought more about it and here was what came up for me. And I thought, you know what, that's a worthwhile question. And so I re-engaged in the conversation two weeks later and he didn't want to talk about it anymore. And he yep. was just like, Oh, okay, good. And I went, okay, cool. And Let's then we on. just yeah. left. Yeah. But it didn't have to go perfect that time, but what it did is exposed me. And I felt I was ashamed of my faith in that moment. I don't know totally why I felt rattled. I felt uncomfortable. I felt insecure. That was an identity dynamic. I, I think what happened, I wanted his approval of me is what I think occurred. I wanted him to like me. I wanted him to think well of me. And I was worried that my faith would cause him to not do that. And in that moment, I'm not proud to say it, for a, for a time, he was more important than God to me. Right. He became a God to me in that moment. Yep. And I have to face those realities that, wow, right. I don't like that. Would you that say that happened. part of the, your belief in that moment was that you needed to get that answer right in the moment in order to be a credible witness? I think I felt like I needed to get the answer right for him yeah. so that he would have a reaction that I thought was a good one. Right. right. I was trying to control him in a way for my own sake yeah. instead of loving him for his sake. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't about him anymore in the moment, and that was the problem. Yeah. It was about me. Yeah, and to come back to what you said about charisms, I think that's a that's an excellent distinction to say that there are in fact some individuals who would have a charism, uh, a gift of the Holy Spirit f for the service of the mission of the church, uh, of evangelization. I personally do not have the charism of evangelization. I find it difficult and awkward and and all that, and it, it doesn't come naturally to me. The the opportunities don't come, and I don't see the fruit in the way that someone others that I know have. Um, demonstrated and have shown that they have a charism for evangelization. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And, and I think to uh, honor you, and I would put myself in that same category, but that doesn't mean we don't have charisms. Yes. Because I, I've seen your charisms in other settings, and I, I know I have charisms in other settings. And so what do I do with that? If God didn't give me, or now, because now we're in identity a bit here. Yep. If God didn't give me that particular charism, what do I do? What do I do when the situation presents itself where it'd be really handy to have the charism? How do I navigate that? And there, I think we're talking about an identity question. Am I secure in who God made me to be? Or am I upset at him or insecure? But those are cool identity things. And then you work on that stuff to grow in security. Yeah. So how does one... Uh, engage intentionally with understanding and seeking their identity. Yeah. I'd, so this is going to sound totally canned and it is, but so I assumed you'd ask that question. So I have a quote of a response and the, the quote to me is like, 
probably the the best thesis statement I've ever heard of or seen uh, to answer that question. So a setup, and then I'll say the quote, and we can break it down. Um, so the setup is I'm on Way of the Heart with Brett Powell, and we have a guest of George Weigel on. So if you don't know George Weigel, he's to your listeners, he's a he's a brilliant. Uh, man of the church who's like a cultural commentator. He's written articles for various secular papers. And I, I would say his most well-known stuff is as a biographer for John Paul II. And um, just smart beyond smart and knows John, knew John Paul II, maybe and knows him, is probably a better way to say it, still, and, and wrote some huge, big books about who JP2 was. So in the midst of our conversation, I ask uh, George Weigel the question, um, you know, what is, does it mean to be a man or what does it mean to be human? Because I thought, JP, if I could ask John Paul II a question, those would be the types of questions I'd ask him. And so I'm like, well, I got maybe the next best thing, the guy who knows a lot about him. So let me ask it. And, and what he did is he drew on a document that I had already been reading, which was such a blessing to me, is he said, you know what? The John Paul II's first uh, encyclical was called Redemptoris Hominis. And he said his whole intention with writing that encyclical was that people had, in, in JP2's mind, people had lost sight of what it meant to be human and what it meant to be man and woman. Now, if you know JP2's pontificate, he's constantly speaking about these things, theology, body, etc. So his first encyclical, says George Weigel, is a response to the exact question you're asking. Well, the cool part is that this identity course stuff that I'm doing, I had already read this quote from Redemptoris Hominis and was like, I think this is the thing. I think this is the thesis statement. And I just felt loved because George Weigel kind of goes, yeah, John Paul II would say, there's the book, the book you should read about it. And I went, cool. So the, the, here's the quote from it. It's from paragraph 10. It says, the man who wishes to understand himself thoroughly. Yep, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Must draw near to Christ. He must, the man wishing, wanting to understand himself thoroughly, he must appropriate and assimilate the whole reality of the incarnation and redemption in order to find himself. If this profound process takes place within him, he then bears fruit, not only of adoration of God, but also deep wonder at himself. So simply stated, if I have these deep questions about who am I, what am I, I want to understand identity, John Paul II, who uh, I think is probably one of the best people ever to ask other than Jesus himself. John Paul II says, how do you do that? Draw near to Christ. Okay, thanks, JP2. Can you give me a bit more? He would say, appropriate and assimilate the incarnation and redemption. Hmm. That's the path. So for me, I just went, man, I just found the map. I felt like I found the map. And so closeness to Christ and appropriating and assimilating, and I've spent time, what do those words actually mean? I have to appropriate and assimilate the incarnation and redemption. If you put it simply, he's kind of going, 
um, be a disciple. That's how you're going to discover who you are and who God is and realize your identity. Discipleship, that's the answer. And I was like, it's so simple. <laughs> it's, the, it's so simple, you know? So I, I absolutely loved it. So that would be the answer. Redemptors Hominus 10. Amazing. Amazing. So uh, the invitation to our Proclaim listeners and to our community is to continually and regularly commit to putting Jesus at the center. Bingo. And that means when we are uh, in the opportunities to reach our proximate periphery, those close to us but far from Jesus, our first step is certainly to ensure that Jesus is at the center of our motives, of our intentions, of our very lives, our day-to-day lives, which means let's do the hard work of of seeking and understanding uh, our identity in Christ, and our witness then to our proximate periphery starts there and then moves towards as the individual is journeying and, and as they are questioning their own identity and their own, uh, their own life, um, it moves towards, it can move towards with credible witness and authenticity, uh, a seeking of their true identity, which we know in, and, and are convicted lands in, in having Christ at the center. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to ask one last question, then I want to give you some time to just share some of the some of the things that uh, life restoration, the opportunities that life restoration has for our proclaimed community, which um, I'm looking forward to just seeing how it how it all unfolds. But to our proclaim listeners, just based on this conversation and what you know of proclaim, is there a word of encouragement that you'd like to leave us with? Um, I think a, a couple things, but one thing that comes to mind is something that a priest friend said to me. Um, He said, it's all real and it's all worth it. Meaning your proclaimed listeners are people who they're in, you know, like they're, they're in, they're, they're not on the proximate periphery. They've bought in, they're hundred percent in. And sometimes in the state of our culture and in our world and in our families and in life, that can be hard. Like uh, being all in for Jesus isn't always easy. And Jesus highlights that. But I I would just want to say it's real, it's worth it, and it's it's good. And lastly, your relationship with Christ is the brightest light that you can shine into the world. It's not necessarily what you know, but it would come from intimacy with him because that's what people long for. Mm. They just long for intimacy with Jesus. So your growth and relationship with him and letting him love you, that's the best thing. And I know you're doing it and it's worth it. It's good. Amen. Amen. Jake, let's talk about some of the initiatives and opportunities that Life Restoration, and in particular, you are offering and um, could be a, a great benefit and a blessing to our proclaimed community. Yeah, thanks, Eric. The, the first one I would say is that we're uh, really excited to be offering a course on identity. And so it's, it's actually part of a series that we're developing uh, on human formation. We realize that Human formation is one of the um, weaker parts of formation that's gone on in the church, especially more currently. We're pretty good at intellectual formation, 
and pretty good at spiritual formation, but human formation seems to be struggling. So we're trying to respond to that. So this course on identity is part of a three-part course uh, on human formation. So I would say that is something that I would really encourage folks to check out. Um, the easiest way to just find out about us is to go to our website, which is liferestoration.ca. And you just search around and you'll see all the stuff there. And we offer the identity course um, periodically throughout the year. And you can sign up and do that. Um, I would say other things that we offer, we have podcasts that we do. So um, I have a podcast called Restore the Glory that's on healing. Uh, one call on, called Way of the Heart that's for men. Uh, my wife, Heather, has a podcast called Abiding Together that she does for women. And um, and we're just offering things kind of sporadically in uh, the Vancouver area, but also throughout North America. Um, I do a lot of ministry with priests and bishops. That's kind of one of my main things that I do outside of human formation. So I would say go to the website. That's the best way to see what we're doing. But I just would want to highlight the for human formation courses because we're really excited about those and think people will, will benefit a lot. Wonderful. Jake, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend, your pastor, or someone in ministry. You can also like or subscribe to get updated when we release new episodes. We aim to release new episodes uh, every two weeks. And finally, if you are interested in Jake's identity course and some of their ministry initiatives. Again, it's liferestoration. I missed it. Liferestoration.ca. CA. And if you're interested in Proclaim's training and resources, you can go to weareproclaim.com. Jake, thanks again so much for taking the time to be with us. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. So God bless you. And we'll look forward to uh, releasing a new episode again and uh, encouraging you in your missionary work. God bless you.